Hello, and welcome to the White's Chapel Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen to our weekly sermons. This is a quick way to enjoy or even revisit a recent message. I love this series that we are in called Blueprint. And Pastor Todd actually was doing a little research on blueprints, and I got interested and looked into it myself. Blueprints were developed a couple of decades, actually before the Civil War, and they were a way to make copies Um, And so when an architect and engineers came up with building plans, they could make copies quickly on these blueprints, these blue lines, and distribute them to contractors, subcontractors, to builders, so that the idea of the building could come to life. But the same way that we have in construction blueprints, we have blueprints in the life of faith. Because the truth of the matter is, we have plans from our architect. God has given us plans. Jesus has revealed plans, and yet we're the contractors, we're the subcontractors, we're the builders who bring that to life. And so it's important that we understand that one of the big missions of the church is that all the things we do are not just random activities, they're a part of the plan given to us by our architect. And so we need to be very mindful of that. So because of that, in October, each week, we're looking at our blueprints, things that are really important to guide the future of the church. And remember we began last week by talking about, we build on the tradition of those that have come before us. And today we're talking about one of the most important parts of our plans, and that is to be a vital church following Jesus, uh, our missions and outreach, our heart to living the gospel. In fact, last week, Pastor Todd shared with us our plans as a congregation. And I want us to look back and remember these. These are our vision statement, to engage the heart through missions and outreach, to stir the soul through worship, to challenge the mind through discipleship and Christian education, to connect the body through evangelism, community, and involvement. Those are our blueprints. Those are our plan to be faithful to live the gospel. But isn't it interesting, when Jesus began his ministry, he did the exact same thing. He laid out the blueprint from the very beginning that shared what he was going to be about. So remember he had been baptized, he had started his ministry publicly, then he went back home to Nazareth. And when he went to Nazareth, he went to church to worship to the synagogue. He was the worship leader that day. Let's read this moment when Jesus went to worship that we find in Luke chapter four, verses 16 through 21. Luke 4, 16 through 21, hear the word of the Lord. When he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Before we dive into this text, I want us to notice something really important about verse 16. Notice that phrase, as was his custom. 
That's only used twice in the Bible. There were two things that it refers to as was his custom. One, it was Jesus' custom to go to the synagogue to worship on the Sabbath. That was his custom. The second thing you see that phrase as was his custom was to pray. Those were the two things Jesus did habitually. They were the heart of his spiritual formation. That was how he connected with God. He went to worship on the Sabbath and he prayed. And so we see that verse. And so can you imagine the townsfolk had been hearing about Jesus and wondering what this new ministry was all about. And he comes to church and the drama of this scene is just amazing. Can you imagine what it was like? He comes and he's the worship leader and he's selected to read the scripture and they hand him the scroll from Isaiah and he reads the passage. And then after he reads very carefully, he hands the scroll back to the attendant who puts it in his place and Jesus sits down. That's what the rabbi would do when they would teach. And can you imagine the pause? They were leaning in. They were wondering expectantly, what's he going to say? What's his sermon going to be? And his sermon is very briefly contained in verse 21. We just read it. Remember what his sermon was? Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What Jesus is saying is today, the kingdom of God has come near. Today, the, the spirit of the Lord is upon me who has sent me to, rel- to announce relief to the, those who are poor and oppressed, to proclaim that the year of the Lord's favor has begun. And he preaches those words. And there's mumbling. They're muttering. They can't believe it. They think, who, who, who is he to say this? We, we know this Jesus. We've seen him grow up. We know his mama. We know his brothers and we know his sisters. We knew his daddy, Joseph. Remember, he had the carpenter shop. Who is Jesus to say this? And they're, they're grumbling and they're complaining at his sermon. And Jesus hears that. And, and he says to them that famous line, a prophet isn't recognized in their hometown. And then he illustrates with a scripture And boy, that really sets them off. When you read on in Luke 4, how did they respond? When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of town, led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. The people were so mad they were going to kill him. Except God intervened. What's going on? You see, the people of Nazareth got the blueprint that day. They got God's plans that Jesus was here preaching good news. Jesus was here to set those who were captive free. And they couldn't hear it. They wouldn't hear it. The question is, what about us? We have the blueprints. We have the plan. God speaks to us clearly, and yet we're the construction workers. We're the contractors. We're the subcontractors. We're the one who take the plan from our Heavenly Father and put it into practice. But do we do that? Do we proclaim and preach the good news? Do we go through our efforts to those people who are, who, who are bound up by circumstances of life and announce freedom in Jesus' name? That's why every vital church 
always revolves around a sense of mission and outreach. It's the core of who we are, that we live and proclaim Jesus' message to the world. You see, we have the blueprint. We have the plan. The question is, what do we do with it? I love the old story that I had in my file. You remember it about the animals in Africa. They decided that they wanted to get up a football game. And so they took, chose teams and picked teams for, the, for this football game. And one team had a problem because the other team had a rhinoceros on it. And that team with the rhinoceros would just hand him the ball. They couldn't tackle him from anywhere on the field. That rhinoceros would get the ball. He would go and score a touchdown time and time again. That rhinoceros was putting a whooping on them. They could not tackle him. So as the game went on, it was the fourth quarter. Time was running out. They were dejected. They were dispirited. They were demoralized. The score was 70 to nothing. And one more time, that team gave the football to the rhinoceros who was charging through the line. Lo and behold, he was tackled. This clean, beautiful form tackle, the rhinoceros fell over. Well, that team was overjoyed. They were cheering, they were clapping, they were high-fiving. They couldn't believe that it had happened and they unpiled all the players and they discovered the tackle was made by the most unlikely of persons. A little centipede who had just entered the game made the tackle. Well, they were just cheering and applauding and said, that's amazing, that was great, this is wonderful, but this is the fourth quarter. The game is almost over. We needed you, where were you? And the centipede answered, I was putting my shoes on. <laughs> now, before I get a rotten tomato from the orchestra, I think there's a point there. The game is going on. How often are we busy putting our shoes on and we miss it? God's calling us to put into practice the plan. We've got the blueprints, but how often we hear the plan and there are things we want to do, things we mean to do, things we want to get around to, things that just we think are so important, but we never quite get around to it because we're putting our shoes on and we don't get into the game. My friends, we have the blueprints. We have the plan. But we get into the game and build the church that Jesus wants us to be. Because uh, you and I, we, we both know that, we know that poverty and, and captivity and blindness and oppression, we know that they still exist. I mean, good grief, they are all around us. Because those things, they're not just, they're not just physical. They're, they're emotional, they're, they're spiritual too. And, and only Jesus can save us. Only Jesus can heal us. Only Jesus can free us from that sort of stuff. But if we wanna be that sort of, if we wanna build that sort of church, if we wanna be those sorts of Christians, then we're gonna have to learn to start seeing all of life through the eyes of stewardship. The steward every day, us stewarding every moment that God gives us. It, it means that we're going to have to start learning how, how to steward our capabilities. 
I mean, have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered why God allowed you to know how to do the things that you know how to do? Maybe it's cooking or, or knitting or, or swinging a hammer or, or, or singing a song. Why did God let you know how to do what you do? God taught you, God let you do what you do in, sort of, in order that we might do it for him. It's, it's for his glory. It's for his kingdom. We do it for him and we do it for them, for all those out there who do not yet know God, his love, his grace, his mercy, his glory. God let us do. God gave us the ability to do what we do in order that we might do it for him. We steward our capabilities. Um, uh, in fact, uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I reached out to my parents. I mean, I talk to my parents more than you know, every other week or whatever. I try to talk to them every day, but I reached out to my folks a couple of weeks ago. It was whenever Hurricane Ian was, was, was wreaking havoc in my home state of Florida. And, and I reached out to them on, on Thursday, right whenever Ian started to, to reach them. Uh, my parents live in Ocala. Ocala is this town up in, in north central Florida. And on Thursday, I reached out to him right as the storm was getting to him. I just wanted to check in on him and see how things were going. And, and I talked to my mom. And again, by the time Ian had got to my parents, it wasn't a hurricane anymore. By the time it got to my parents, it was, it was a tropical storm, but it was still a really strong tropical storm. So I reached out to mom and dad and mom answered the phone. And she said that they were doing okay. They hadn't lost power, but mom told me that dad was already out in the front yard. She said that dad was out in the yard cleaning up. Now remember, the storm was right overhead. And dad was out there like raking up leaves and picking up limbs. And it was just crazy to me. So I asked my mom, I was like, mom, hey, can, I, can you put dad on the phone? Let me, let me talk to dad. I just want to check this out. She hollered out to the yard, hey, Jim, come in. And dad came in and she gave him the phone. And I was like, dad, what's going on? Dad, like, don't, don't you know, don't you understand that, that more leaves are going to fall? Don't you know that more limbs are gonna fall? I love what my dad said. He's like, yeah, man, I, I know that. He said, but, but I'll take care of that then. I just wanted to do what I could do right now. And, and it got me to thinking, how would life be different? How would life be different if we lived with that? If I lived, if I lived with that sort of spirit, if I live with that sort of perspective, instead of waiting for blue skies, instead of, of waiting for the perfect opportunity, for me simply to put my shoes on and to get in the game no matter what, to do that thing that God gave me the ability to do, to do that thing for him right now. Us stewarding our capabilities, us stewarding our experiences, us stewarding this, this moment that's called right now. And then I started to think, I started to think about this, this, this thing that I hadn't thought about in years. Um, in 2003, just a, actually a couple of weeks after I came on staff here at the church, I had to go to this thing called licensing school. Uh, now licensing school, the, the pastor, licensing school is kind of like, like preacher's boot camp. Um, and we were there, we were there for a week, and at the end of our week, we kind of had this, this closing service. We had this kind of closing ceremony, and, and there was this guy who was in our group, and he was also a potter, um, and he had brought in this, this beautiful chalice that he made, this beautiful cup that he made, and he got up in front of the entire group, and, and he started to share, he started to reflect upon all that we had experienced together that week, everything that we had learned, everything that we had been through. 
he's holding this cup and, and, and he said that he wished, he wished he had enough to give each of us one, one of these cups that he had made, but he said that he didn't. He didn't have enough to go around. And then with this, with this knowing smile on his face, he let go. He dropped it. He dropped that beautiful cup that, that he had created and it, it fell and it hit the ground and, and it shattered, it shattered into a thousand pieces. And then he asked each of us to, to pick a piece up. Because in his, his words, we, we each had a piece of that moment. We each had a part of it. You see, there's, there's something beautiful about that kind of brokenness. Us stewarding our struggles, us stewarding the, the stories of our pain and the stories of our overcoming. God can use brokenness like that. God wants to use brokenness like that because we've all got a piece. We've all got a piece of it. We've all got a piece, we've all got a role, we've all got a part to play in God's plan and God's blueprint for the world. But we gotta learn, we gotta learn how to steward our experiences. We gotta, we gotta learn how to steward our, our capabilities. And we also gotta learn how, how to steward our connections. Last week I shared with you all that my most famous relative uh, is Bonnie Parker. My most famous relative is the Bonnie of Bonnie and Clyde. And uh, after services uh, last week, a new friend of mine came up and he introduced himself and he told me, he said, Todd, I think, I think we might be related. And I was, I, I was really, I mean, if we're related through this, I was really interested, I was really curious. And he went on to tell me, he told me his story. Apparently, my new friend, apparently his grandfather was, was Jim Gear. His grandfather was Texas Ranger Jim Gear, who at the time of Bonnie and Clyde just so happened to be the sheriff of Red River County out in, in East Texas. Apparently, his granddad had some run-ins with my cousin. His granddad had a little bit of experience with my cousin Bonnie, and he was really wanting to know, does that make us kin? <laughs> and I said, absolutely. Because I love fluky connections like that. Because there's a reason. There's a reason. There's a reason why God brings people into our lives. There's a reason why God brings people uh, along across our path. There's a reason. There's a reason for each and every connection that we have. And it's not just so that we can open doors for ourselves and open doors for our family and open doors for our friends. It's so that we might open doors and smooth the way for, for others too. I mean, almost every day, Every day I visit with people who are struggling. Almost every day I visit with people who are going through life's hardships. Almost every day I visit with, with folks who, who are asking things, who are needing things for me that, that I can't possibly provide. But I know people. I know people who can. I know people with experiences. I know people with, with expertise, folks who can help, folks who can make a difference. And in those times, in those, those moments, my, my only job is to get out of the way. In those times, my only job is to make the connection. In those times, my only job is to provide hope and encouragement and love. In those times, my only job, like, like the donkey in the story of the Good Samaritan, my job is to get the hurting to the healer. Amen. To get the hurting to the helper. There's a reason. 
There's a reason for, for every single connection, for every single relationship that we have. God's got a blueprint. We just gotta figure out why. We gotta figure out what, what it means for us. Yeah, to, to be faithful, to be, to be proper modern day missionaries, we gotta learn how to steward our connections. We gotta learn how to steward our capacities. And we gotta learn how to steward our, our context. Right? You are you on purpose. And you are here, you're here for a reason. There's something here that only you can do. Here in this church, here in this community, here in, here in this world. You see, whenever, whenever we see it like that, we're not just, we're not just stewards of our stuff. We're, we're not just stewards of our relationships, our family, our friends, our golfing buddies, the carpool. When we see it through those eyes, when we see it through, through these eyes, these newly opened, not blind anymore eyes, when we see it through these divinely opened eyes, we start to realize that we become stewards of every place that these two feet take us. We become stewards of, of our homes and our offices and our businesses and our schools. We become, we become stewards of the boardroom and, and the living room and the locker room. We become stewards of every single place that we go. When we see it through those eyes, the whole world becomes our mission field. When we see it through those eyes, the whole world becomes our parish. And, and as I say that, um, Pastor John and I came in, we came in on Monday and uh, we each had a book laying on our desk, a book that was just kind of sent to us anonymously. And we opened it up and it, it ended up being this book that was written by a former bishop of the church. But in the book he was looking back, he was, he was kind of reflecting on his experiences as a local church pastor. And there's a, there was a passage in there. There was a passage that, that we both wanted to share with y'all. Um, so here's what, here's what the bishop wrote. He said, desperate to revive a dwindling congregation I secured the services of a renowned church consultant who spent two days talking with every congregational leader. He studied our metrics and, and then he reported on what we needed to do to have a future in our beloved historic building. The leadership of the congregation enthusiastically embraced the consultant's recommendations, but as he departed the next morning, the consultant and I walked through the church's sanctuary where he looked up, up at the huge stained glass window over the door. What's that scene? He asked. <laughs> You're obviously not a Methodist, I said with a laugh. That's an iconic moment from John Wesley's ministry. Refused access to, to an Anglican pulpit by a bishop who thought he was nuts. Wesley stood on the, his father's tomb and preached to a group gathered in the cemetery. I don't need permission to preach in this parish, scoffed Wesley. The world is my parish. Then. My chief recommendation, said the consultant, is to end every service by having your congregation turn and face that window. That image ought to be imprinted on their hearts every single time they leave. They're Methodists. Their mission isn't the building. It's the world. Amen. The world is our parish. And we celebrate all the many ways that we are already reaching it. 
We, we celebrate all the many ways that, that we are changing it with the gospel, with the good news of Jesus Christ. We celebrate the, the over 290,000 volunteer hours that y'all put in just, just this year alone, and the year's not even done. That time it's worth over eight and a half million dollars, and you gave it so generously, so freely. We, we celebrate the thousands of meals that we have given. We celebrate the, the dozens of families whose homes we have renovated or, or moved them in, into new places, safer places. We, we celebrate all the backpacks. We celebrate all the clothes, all the jobs, the hope, the healing. The world is changing. The gospel is advancing. But we're not satisfied. We're not satisfied with that because there's still more. There's still more for us to do. There's still more for us to be in God's blueprint for this church. See, we dream, we've got dreams. We dream of of engaging missionaries all across the world. We want to have at least one missionary partnership, preferably more, but we want to have at least one missionary partnership in, in every continent on earth. Except for maybe Antarctica, unless God opens a door there and then Antarctica too. We want to have a missionary partnership everywhere in every single continent. We want to adopt a country on every single continent, making a strategic, long-term sort of sacrifice, making, making, making a real difference in those places. We dream of, of expanding our footprint with our partners over at Grace, specifically with their transitional housing program. Lives are being changed by it, and every month they have two to 300 applicants for, for that program because it does such good work. Lives are deeply, firmly changed. Um, but they simply just don't have the room. They've got room for maybe 20 folks to go, 20 families to go through it. We want to partner with them to either help them buy or build, or we ourselves buying or building an entire apartment complex and then just giving it to them, saying, here, do that thing that you know how to do. We want to walk alongside you. We have dreams. We, we dream of, of getting our, our new community center, our new community complex, being, get, get it started getting built down with our, our friends at El Buen Samaritano in East Fort Worth. We, we want to put a, a community resource in this place. We want to put a medical clinic to, to partner, to work hand in hand with the phenomenal work that, that our dental clinic is already doing, the lives being changed, our brothers and sisters down there in East Fort Worth. And, and while we're at it, we want to add a mobile medical component to our new mobile market. Um, y'all, y'all remember that the, the mobile market was kind of last year's big reach. That was last year's kind of big ask. Um, um, but you know what? It's taken them longer to build our trailer than it took us to raise the support for the trailer. I think it's supposed to be, supposed to be here next week, I think. Um, but we realize that transportation is one of the greatest pinch points for those that we want to work, work and walk alongside. So we want to meet them where they are. Take the help, take the healing, take the gospel to where they are rather than expecting them to come to us. And, and it's all big. Yeah, it's daunting. It's a big dream, but ours is a big God, and that is the dream, and it's, it's just part of the dream. There's more, but that's it. It's our dream. It's our calling. That's the blueprint to engage our hearts, to put on our shoes, to get in the game, to change the world to change the world starting right here, stewarding right now. 
as we pray. Amen. Our God, this morning we humbly pray that that you would remind us, or maybe God, that, that you would teach us for the very first time that, that missions isn't just something that happens way over there. There's something that starts right here, right here in these hearts of ours. So Lord, we pray, come to us and move us and change these hearts. Break hardened hearts. God, uh, uh, unhinge and, and, and unbind those hearts of ours that have been held, that have been held captive by, by fear and been bound up by worry and stress for, for so long. Speak life and peace, freedom, Lord. Release to those bound up by guilt and shame. Because only you can, only you can provide that sort of freedom. Lord, we ask you to, to come come into our poverty. Come, Lord, into our blindness and open our eyes, our our eyes to all the needs that surround us and all the needs within us, Lord, and teach us. God, teach us to love you and teach us to love our neighbor. Teach us to love our neighbor as ourselves, that we might be good and faithful stewards. We might be good and faithful stewards of each day that you give us, that, you would, that we would be good and faithful stewards of each moment that you give us, that we'd be good and faithful stewards of, of each opportunity, of each conversation you allow us to have. Lord, let us be your people. Let us make a difference in this world, not for our own sake, but God for you. Lord, move us to be stewards that do it all, God, for the glory of your name. Because we ask these things, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.